Welcome to the Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy, the free podcast for motivated teachers and school leaders who want to inspire their students and school community in literacy learning. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast player and for more amazing literacy resources, check out the show notes provided with every episode. Hi, I'm Sharon and I'm the host of a Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy. In every toolkit episode, we bring you specific resources, tools, strategies, tips, techniques to help you in your job as a teacher of literacy. Firstly, we acknowledge and pay our respects to the Ghana people, the traditional custodians whose ancestral lands we gather on. We acknowledge the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of the Ghana people to country, and we respect and value their past, present and ongoing connection to the land and cultural beliefs. And welcome, Phil. Thanks, Sharon. Great to be here. Welcome, newcomers, to the Facebook group, podcasts, and our Teacherific resources. We love hearing the diverse reasons why teachers across the world are joining so much deep and creative literacy work going on in schools. Some recent comments. I am new to teaching reading intervention and am looking for any and all supports to improve classroom experience for my students. That's a teacher in Colorado. Ideas and resources to keep literacy interesting for disengaged youth and keep my sanity. That's a teacher in Cairns in Queensland. I'm looking for innovative resources and strategies to teach literacy. That's a leader in Toronto and Canada. I'm a primary educator in my sixth year of teaching and I'd love to be exposed to best practice literacy teaching strategies. I want to continually improve on the way I engage students in learning and experiment with new practices. That's a teacher. I love the podcast. I've listened for 18 months now and I want to read what other teachers are saying about some of the episodes. That's a teacher in the USA in Connecticut. Uh, Sharon, great to have teachers from all over interested and commenting. It's so exciting because it's the profession. You know, as a profession, I think no matter where we are in the world, it's nice to be able to connect with those who are just looking for the exact same things. Yeah, and... Uh, the podcast is a wonderful way for getting across the world, isn't it? No. Yes, yes, without leaving the studio. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So great that you're listening and um, hope every podcast that you've got there uh, is helping you in your job as a teacher. I know people are looking for those sorts of things, but the thing that we really do try to think about and present in the podcasts is really based on the things that are the real everyday things that are happening in classrooms. Definitely. And we're not always sort of trying to come at things from, you know, what backs this up? What's the research around this? And I know people are always looking for evidence-based things, but we really want to value and honour and not discount the power of of what's happening in front of us in classrooms with our students as a really powerful evidence base. You know, like when someone says, look, they're looking for resources, you know, for disengaged learners or for intervention or for... Like we're really kind of trying to help explore and think about and bring through the podcast the things that we're going, oh, my goodness, look at... like." We've all got these big questions in front of us every day, mm. actually, and and what might just be a tip or a trick or a technique or a something mm. that just might work there. It's a toolkit. Yeah, it's that's, a toolkit. That's why it's called yeah. the teacher's toolkit. <laughs> Good so, call. 
<laughs> and, After uh, that long-winded ramble of mine, yeah. um, straight to the point, Phil, um, that's what it is. And so, yes, we hope we're you know really sharing some of those, well, adding to people's toolkit. Yep. And if you're not a member of the Teachers Toolkit Facebook group or uh, Teachific, uh, we'd love you to join and introduce yourself to the group. Anyway, the podcast we're doing today is to highlight some of the things that you as listeners have really valued um, in your listening because on our podcast program, uh, we've been able to see which podcasts are most listened to. And so we're going to bring you the top nine. Uh, we should have done the top ten, but sorry, we've only got the top nine. Uh, as rated by you, the audience, uh, podcast, we're just going to go through each one and just highlight some of the things we thought were pretty good about that podcast. And Well, maybe mm, what, what we think are some of the key aspects, of, aspects to those podcasts. So, yeah. that, so it's really just to give a little bit of a taster of, yeah, um, yeah. of those top nine that are big and important things. That, yeah. yeah. And also someone who's not listened to any podcasts, mm. um, in our show notes of this podcast will be the links to those top nine. So they might say, well, I've got 90 or so podcasts. I might just start with those top nine and then I'll go to yeah. others because it's. I know they're very popular um, and they might be a good starting point for me. Yes, yeah. yeah. That's kind of like of this date, these are the top yes. nine because they actually do change over time. They All do. it takes is for, you know, another really great podcast to come out and then that, that becomes one of the big and it's, most listened to ones. And it's not saying don't listen to all the other podcasts <laughs> because they're all, we think they're all valuable and, um, you know, it doesn't have to be these. But do you know what I think was interesting for us too in looking back? Because we often look at, okay, which ones are, you know, proving to be popular what is it that people are looking for and listening for? Because actually I think in the previous podcast to this we talked about, well, how do we even choose what topics we have for podcasts? Every now and then people in the Facebook group will suggest things that they would like um, to have and we try to uh, chase up and present those. Right. Well, starting off on um, our countdown, Sharon, this is exciting. Yes. Drum roll, please. Well done. Um, okay, number nine on our countdown, Sharon, is quick writes using mentor texts. We've really chosen three key things from that podcast as a bit of an overview. So we chose the number one key point as quick writes using mentor texts really give students the opportunity to experiment and practice. So the idea of the quick write, of course, means that we shouldn't be spending a lot of time in the explaining and, you know, what it is that students are going to be doing in the writing. It's about allowing students that opportunity to experiment and write and practice different things noticed in mentor texts rapidly. So yeah, because it's, it's only a short piece of writing they're doing. That's the key, isn't it? We've got yeah. a, a little booklet a little booklet that they've got some lines in? Or not necessarily a little booklet. Right. We we choose that, but I lots of teachers that I work with have, you know, just an A4 size or a letter size book that students mm. are doing their quick writes in. But the point is it's a short piece of writing and therefore... Uninterrupted. We could, uninterrupted, but we can go back to that and practice 
some aspect of that in uh, at the next time we write? Well, experiment more than practice Okay. for a start, I suppose. It's, it's about giving it a go, giving yeah. something a try. Yeah. And what we're practising, I think experimenting is the key word first and then the practice of it might be, do you know what, I'm going to revise something around that or mm. I might mm. not. Mm. Um, or I might get, have another go at that. That's where I really get to. But um, it's easier to do because it's a short piece. That's a that's the whole point, isn't it? Well, it's a short time, right? So in that short time, like some students actually write a lot in that time, yep. and in fact, it's that opportunity to look at the essence of the quick write. Why successful writers? Why they use it? is because it lets the writer get out of their own way and have running through their head, I can't do this, this isn't working, mm, I'm, mm. you know, I didn't do that right. But just really getting into that experimental mode mm. and being able to be unhindered yeah. in a way, yep. to try it out. Yep. And in that short time, it means that I've been able to have a go at it. How yeah. did that work out? And then to come back to and look at, oh, am I going to revise this bit? Is this something that I can, um, you know, take forward, move forward with? So yesterday in a class, year three, fours, doing some quick writes and their quick write had been focusing in and noticing. So here's the use of the mentor text and their focus was looking at rhythm and rhyme. And that's all they were focusing on in their own writing. Not everything else, just that bit. A little bit of teacher talk, them having a go, them sharing and responding and reflecting on what they'd done. So all wrapped up in that one little piece, you know, some of them trying more than one thing. But I think the point is that uh, we, we're really seeing kids improve from this process, aren't we? Yes, and, and students asking for it yeah, and seeing it as part of their toolkit. Yeah. Yeah. That a quick write doesn't even have to be teacher-driven. Yeah. It can be especially a quick write of mentor text going, yeah. do you know what, this is what I've noticed in this text, I want to try that. Yeah. And that just doing that, let me experiment with that. Let me have a go um, at using that. It's the real key. It's the key. It's the unlocker yeah. between, wow, mentor text. I, I see what they've done there. I've noticed what the writer's done. Do you know what? Let me try that out. Let me experiment with that and let me just unhindered mm. use that quick write idea whether the teachers recommended it or not, it's an absolute tool for our children and and I see it again and again and again that students say, oh, I'm just going to give that a go. Yeah, we hope you're trying that out or if you haven't tried it out, to try it out. It's yeah, a, or listen to the podcast yeah, to find out more yeah, about it. More but about it's it. a real, real key. The two other things that were you know kind of big ideas from that and this one links on to that experimenting and practising is that quick writes build stamina. Yeah. Yep. And they don't just build stamina for writing, they build stamina for noticing what writers are doing. Yeah. So once again, it becomes that real tool for students. 
it's a real toolkit piece. Mm. Mm. So if it's in our toolkit as teachers and we can bring that as a real tool for our students to have, it's a lifelong strategy for them to be able to use. But we do also talk in the podcast about what's a possible routine for building that. So like how do you start with it? How do you get it going so that it can become a really valuable tool in your teaching and in your students' own toolkit. Yep, fantastic. Well, that was number nine. That was number nine. I think I did that podcast and it's an absolute passion mm. of mine. Mm. Those, um, So I'm actually very happy to see it in the top nine. Yes, yes. Yeah. And also we would love one day to do an online course on that one. Yes, yep. yes. Yep. And I'm really sort of also trying to build more resources around that on Teachific so that there are more supports for you as teacher to bring that to your students. Number eight was a wonderful podcast with Dr. Brian Camborn on the conditions for learning and was fantastic to get Brian um, on the podcast, Sharon. Yeah, Yeah. because it's been a long career of really thinking about and exploring and and really identifying what are conditions for learning that apply not just for literacy but for learning in general. Um, and wonderful reference was made in that podcast too for um, the book that Deborah Crouch has written with, that looks with Brian with Brian yeah um, that looks at how the conditions for learning play out in literacy. So, number one, the importance of meaning. Yeah. And Brian talked a lot about that how meaning is just a critical component of effective teaching and learning because he really puts that as the core. You know, it's all about meaning. Yep. So, he really highlights a lot about how students need to be encouraged to be finding how to be finding meaning in their learning experiences, which means that comes back to us as teacher about how the experiences we are bringing to our students enable them to find meaning. So that big solid piece of work there about, and I think that comes back to things that even um, some of the teachers that we, or leaders that, Um, We talked about why they've joined the group. Engagement, so teacher and student joy in teaching. When we know that so much of that is tied up with meaning, Mm. then we can get, I think, a good insight into, it's a good lens for us, isn't it, into when we're planning, when we're delivering, when we go, right, where will our students find meaning in this? Well, I think it changes the whole ballgame because the students see a reason for doing something. Um, it affects everything, their learning, their behaviour, everything, yeah. because yeah. it's a driving force, isn't it? It yes. just says, really, I'm making sense of what's here rather than just learning this because someone told me to learn it. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's a, yeah. And I think there's one thing that... I'm not sure that it came up in this podcast, but there's some language that we often use when we're talking about, some people will call them learning intentions. Yeah. We often refer to those as the good reader, good writer, actions for learning. And so if we're saying, you know, good readers do, 
this and why and give the why, I think through that what we're trying to build in is like what's the meaning in this? So if we say, as I was chatting with somebody yesterday, if we talk about how we use, say, our phonic knowledge, now I've already said the key word, things that we learn, so let's say we're learning something about phonics, we're learning it, why? To be able to use it as readers and writers. That's the meaning. And that's the meaning. Mm. So I think I think we really have to be clear about those things mm. as teachers. Mm. And if we think through that when we create that learning intention, if that's what we call it, because a lot of people will refer to it as the learning intention mm. or the learning goal, mm. um, I think we want through that to help our students know what meaning they can create from what we're going to be doing. Yeah. And I think we as teachers have to be absolutely, have real clarity around that ourselves so that our students can get to that meaning. Another big idea was um, engagement. Oh, yeah, which I think we've probably covered. also just covered yeah. <laughs> in finding that meaning. But it is, and you've made that important point already, that engagement is all about that motivation about attention and attending deeply to the third one that we highlighted was the power of demonstrating. Modelling. Modelling. So demonstrating through modelling really the what and the why. (laughs) So, you know, those learning actions, Mm. you know, for us to, all right, so we're learning this in the phonics, so what would I want to be demonstrating? I don't want to just model the what of that, but now how am I going to be using it? Yeah, what's the action I'm taking? Yeah, and Um, that gets our engagement. Through that demonstration, a child gets to see or a student gets to see, all right, so this is what we've been learning and this is how... A yeah. good reader or a good writer gets to use that. So when we talk about explicit teaching, there is a, a bit of a thing out there where people think that's just telling the class what to do. Yeah. This is what, what you're going to learn and this is how, you know, I'm not going to show you actually how to do this, but I'm just going to say this is what it is. So the big shift is to say as a teacher, I'm going to do an action that shows you what you're going to be doing in your learning. Yeah, a real-life action. So if it's yeah. in reading, the yeah. action is within reading. Yeah, and that's if that's really, if we were talking about explicit teaching, that really is the, let's call it explicit teaching mark too. You know, it is really showing, demonstrating what to do. So yeah, that, mm. and I think that's what I loved most about this podcast with Dr. Brian Camborn was that, all of these conditions for learning are such a powerful lens for us to really think about what that demonstration, what that explicit teaching looks like. Yeah, yeah. And how the explicit teaching then drives the student learning. And also there's plenty of time for the student learning. They can then go and practice that in their own time, which is really the key 
to the whole learning thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And links back to what you were saying about the explicit teaching. Why you said Mark two is because sometimes the explicit teaching we get over explicit about too many things mm. and spend too much. You know, we as teachers need to a bit of explicit teaching and then time for students to to try that out, to be doing it for themselves, to be um, to be having a go at that. It's not all about just holding them with us mm. and mm. letting them see mm. for half an hour us doing something. They need some of that. They're doing it with us, but my word, we need to give them just enough. So they've all got an entry point into trying that for themselves Mm, mm, now. Yep. So number seven, Sharon, is how to group students effectively for learning with Diane Snowball, another good podcast. Oh, and hugely popular at number seven. This, of course, is this, this idea of grouping, and this is, you know, one of those themes that then comes up again in another one of the podcasts, but... Of course, this is so much to do with differentiating. Yes. Now, some teachers, um, their way of differentiating with their class is to, yes, split their class up into groups, but they stay in those groups for a whole term or Mm. even longer. Mm. And that's the way they differentiate. But in this podcast with Diane, we talked about doing this in a different way. Yes. Yeah. Grouping might not be fixed. It might be that on this day I might have this particular group because I can see a need for uh, this thing that they're not understanding. So my group is based on that. Um, another day I might not have groups. It might be just my whole class. Yes. So it's yeah. a lot more flexible thinking and it's all about meaning and about learning. Correct. Yeah. And, and I think that word flexible we want to hold on to because that grouping, that, that small grouping, Flexible is the key word. We're not fixed. Mm. That we've yep. always got the same group at the same because for any of us that have ever run groups, I think we all need to be quite honest in that even within a group, in a fixed group, we've actually got children with very different needs mm. within that group. Just because we've put them together in a group doesn't mean we're addressing the very things mm. that like why have they been grouped what's the common element is it an assessment that was done at the beginning of the year about one particular aspect of literacy that now means those children are grouped together for eternity for all aspects of literacy <laughs> for all aspects of literacy Which is, doesn't make sense no yeah. so so we really need to if we want to be effective, mm. we want to keep grouping very flexible and based on what is it that we've noticed that particular students today, when we've been working on a particular aspect of reading or writing or word work that we've noticed, all right, there's a couple of children that what can I do? Do I need to put them in a group? Or do I need to, right there and then, on the spot, teach? Yeah. So I don't need to bring a group together. I can, I've just noticed two children that need, maybe it's the same thing, or maybe it's different things. So there's no point bringing them together for a group. 
you know, often as teachers we can feel overwhelmed when we, we've got our lesson, we've delivered that, we've demonstrated, we've got our students practising and we're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm noticing so many things that they are or aren't doing here at the moment. But I think we cast the net too wide sometimes. Mm. What we need to focus on when we are looking at how students are going with the very thing that we've demonstrated is to focus on that. Mm. That mm. very thing that we demonstrated, modelled, that is the focus of this. Let's just see how well students are managing that. Di talked about having really purposeful activities for kids. Well, I think the first thing we're saying is that every child has an entry point. Yep. When I've modelled... Every child's got an entry point into the work. So it's purposeful. Why have I chosen whatever it is that I'm modelling or that is the focus of that lesson? Well, it's highly purposeful because it's the next thing that they need. It's the very thing that is going to get them the next step along. Every child, what's every child's next step? You know, it's not... um, you know, that's not fixed either. So this idea of setting purposeful activities is what is it based on need that's the very thing that they need next. Yep. The aim is, is to help students to become independent. Yeah. So our modelling and the independent practice is about letting them have that opportunity, choosing the right things to be teaching so that we can move them further into that independent practice and for us to be noticing what support they need, when they need it and for how long. Yeah. Sometimes that's whole class, sometimes it's grouping, sometimes it's individual. Yeah. The whole goal here is about getting them to be independent and to be able to become independent. There was one third one Mm. which Di talked about the importance of engaging reluctant Mm. readers. Mm. But we want to talk here about like flexible grouping in any subject area. Yeah. Um, You know, it applies across all subject areas, all learning areas. So we use the word striving but engaging the striving learners. And the discussion in the podcast really talks about the challenge of engaging especially older students who have become disengaged in particularly reading and writing. And the podcast really highlights the need to find materials and topics that genuinely interest them to boost their motivation and to turn around the reading and writing experiences that they're having. Because what Di was talking about here is how we will often group students and because of that grouping, it builds reluctance and lack of motivation and engagement and, in fact, independence in the things that are needed. And, in fact... What that grouping can sometimes do is not bring to those students what they have the right to access on the curriculum. Yep. So it's often, okay, 
you know, the disengaged. So, all right, maybe we'll bring them. And I think we sometimes we need to be honest too and say, are these students disengaged, not not able to do the work? Yeah. Like I think a lot of these students are able to do a lot of the work. Yeah. Because they've been labelled and grouped in that way, they do become disengaged. Yeah. So we really need to be mindful of that. And what about choice in those things? Mm. So really building motivation and turning around of experiences. If they've just been having the same kinds of experiences that continually disengage them, then we've got to move them off those kinds of experiences. I think at all year levels, one of the first things we should be really developing is book selection strategies. If we're talking reading. If we're talking reading. If we're talking writing, Mm -hmm. what about what do we choose to write about? How do we get those ideas? How do we – like they're the things that we need – like, let's think back. Let's not think too narrowly about mm. why we group yeah. students and why we put children together and to really be reflective on is the grouping the very thing that is actually causing some of the issue. Yeah. All right, counting down to number six, Sharon. Yes. Teaching writing effectively with Alan Wright. Yeah. Now, Alan is an absolute expert in the field of teaching writing. Uh, I found one of the points was delving into effective strategies for teaching writing. And I really love the way he said teachers need to be writers themselves. That's a key to teaching writing effectively. That was a big one. Yeah, and, um, you know, real-life example here yesterday with a upper primary teacher doing some Absolutely fantastic writing and engaging all students, you know, wonderfully in writing at the moment. But she also said, actually, this is a part of writing that I don't feel so confident about teaching because I don't feel like I'm a good writer. A good enough writer, but she said, I don't feel like she said I've I've got children in my class who I can read their writing and go wow I don't think I could even write that so building our own confidence as teachers of writing by building our own confidence mm, mm, of being a writer yeah. I think is something that I know Alan does a lot of um yeah. wonderful work around that and his poetry pizzazz blog oh yes absolutely encourages those who want to you know to be writers Mm. as part of that blog alan demonstrates or you know presents something in the blog that he's been doing in his writing and it really encourages us um if we follow that blog to think oh i'm going to try that out in my writing and and maybe even share that so he also talks about modelling uh, writing styles and co-constructing texts from, you know, mentor texts um, mm. as a really powerful, and we've talked about that, but um, came up strongly in that podcast. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the idea of mentor texts, that co-construction, of course, for our younger writers, interactive writing and shared writing, 
wonderful um, and should be regular parts of young writers' opportunities mm. to be engaging in the writing process together and then being able to take that beyond mm. into their own writing. Another one, and we talked about this earlier, was uh, the importance of choice in writing. So that that's empowering the, the students as writers. Yes, it's a big part of motivation yeah. and engagement. But actually, like you mentioned before, with the importance of students being able to learn how to select books, I think we have a lot of work as teachers to do about helping our students to know how do I get ideas for writing? Yeah. And how do I have choice? Like, what is choice? Choice isn't, okay, I've given you three topics to write about, choose one of those. With this pro forma? <laughs> yeah. So, building all the aspects of choice, because choice, there's a whole lot of choosing to be done as a writer. What form will I write in? Or what will I write about? Who will my audience be? What is the purpose of this writing? What voice will I have? Or whose voice will yeah. I have in this writing? Because if you put up all these controls, then you're going to lead to more disengagement? Yeah. But each of these things that we've been talking about, we want our students to, and a lot of these things that I have mentioned are actually traits of, of good writers, mm. where we're thinking about these kinds of things. So that, that means as teacher, and that actually means across a young writer's life at school, we want to address that range of things from the beginning and bit by bit, not that it's all that choice is so open-ended that we drop out the bottom and go, well, I'm just falling, I've got mm, nowhere to go. Mm, but to know how to learn about how to make those choices. Yeah. So that requires some modelling, but it also requires us to be thinking about that so that that comes through. We're thinking about that in our own planning. Yeah. So simple choice factors then become, you know, the what we write about might be, well, then let's choose something that we know about. So this reception class that is excited and joyful, joyful teacher, joyful students yesterday in this school, this reception class, so the five-year-olds, they're going to be doing their writing. What are they choosing? Well, they choose, they go, oh, do we get to choose an animal? Can we do animals? Like the children are driving this. You know, what are they going to be yeah. writing about? Yep. Can we choose animals? Because they've been studying animals. They've been looking at animals. Right. They know a lot about okay. animals. So so the teacher hasn't said, you know, it's got to be about an animal. Right. She's modelled and they've opened it. And they go, oh, so when she's opened it to them to, so what are you going to write about? immediately there's this whole buzz in the room, like, can we do animals? Right. And then it's opened up already. So there's there's choice from the beginning. Yep. 
and there's choice because they know it's opened up to you're going to choose something that you want to write about and that you know about. So immediately we've got every child going, yeah, I know what I'm going to do. Right. And these are five-year-olds. Off we go. What was the good writer thing? Good writers choose words to make their writing interesting. Uh Aha. So the difference between giving the kids a pro forma is that you're getting them excited about a topic like animals and it came from them, but then there is a good writer action. Now that's their anchor. Within this piece of writing, it's not just free for all. There is a good writer action that the teacher has modelled. Yes, And then they're going to use that good writer action within their writing. Free choice on what they write about. Yes. But there is a good writer action. Yes. And in this instance, if we put that to these six plus one traits of writing, we'd say this was all about word choice. Yep. And what words do we intentionally use to make Mm. our writing interesting for our reader? And in our big book. Oh, we model. So the teacher has modelled their sentence that they've written uh, uh, their idea and what that looks like when they've written it yeah. and then we've had oral rehearsal yeah. and we've, oh, I've chosen mine, I've, it's going to be about this animal or or not mm. and how am I going to, what words am I choosing to make mm. that interesting? So you're really enabling them before they even go off to write, you're really enabling them through the oral rehearsal, through the teaching modelling you're enabling them for their when they're going off to write. Yeah. Yep. But coming back to the point of this, which was <laughs> the importance of choice oh, okay. in writing, yep. Yep. Um, as Alan makes the clear point there, that when we control every aspect of the writing, when we over-control it as teacher – and that might be we over-control with its form and its its structure and its, you know, create this bit and then or on this topic, um, you know, if that's so narrow because often the prompt is very narrow. Yeah. <laughs> like when we're thinking about teaching our students across anything, we might feel that giving choice is too open-ended, but think about how do we provide choice that will promote genuine interest because that is at the other end of the scale of disengagement. Children have said, oh, can we just choose what we're doing ourselves? Some children do just drop out the bottom of that yeah. if I haven't because I can remember in 1980. For when I said that to my students because I thought that's what I needed to do to mm. offer choice mm. when in fact all it gave children was a headache, a yeah. lot of children a headache because I hadn't taught, mm. I hadn't scaffolded enough. They were year sixes mm. and what had come before wasn't enough for them to just... Yeah, to do that. To do that. And in your conferring with them in that independent writing time, you're noticing not only the good writer action from today, but good writer actions that they've got in their head from other lessons that they've had. Correct. But the thing that for 
for those five-year-olds on that day was all about yeah. their word choice. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and, right. and even though, yeah. Oh, look, and interestingly, you know, there were all kinds of things that came out, of course, in that some children said, oh, guess what I did in mine? I used alliteration. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and someone mm. else said, mm. oh, well, do you know what I did in mine? Mm. You know, so, you know, and others uh, say, I used adjective. You know, I used more yeah. adjectives. So with Alan's podcast, Sharon, there's a wealth of information about the teaching of writing and also there's another podcast. Yes, uh, there's an earlier one, I think, um, that – Alan did on poetry. Yes. So even though that hasn't made it into the top nine, um, I hope a lot of people might find their way back to that podcast again, actually, because I think there's a lot of – Alan's got a lot of such powerful things to say about writing and I kind of also want us to highlight writing again at the moment because it's still one of those areas – that teachers ask a lot about is that area of mm. writing. And Alan's got such good foundations. And great practical ideas, I found, and terrific resources. He's got wonderful books he refers to that are his go-to books. Yeah. Um, and they're all in the show notes of that podcast. Yeah. So mm. I think it's a, it's a good one for us to end on for this podcast yep. because – each of these podcasts are really, I mean, all of them probably go for about an hour and then have all kinds of resources and things yeah. attached to them. So we'll just wrap up this podcast and know that the following one is going to be the top five. The top five. Which Looking. will be really interesting. So yes. um, thank you, everyone, for listening today and thank you to Sharon. Thanks, Phil. Bye, everybody. Looking forward to being in the airwaves with you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast. To make sure you don't miss any literacy learning tips and insights, please subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player. At Q Learning, our literacy specialists draw on over 30 years of teaching and international consulting experience to deliver world-class learning solutions. We equip, empower and support teachers to become their authentic selves. To find out about upcoming webinars and about how Q can help you and your school, visit qlearning.com.au. And you can get even more amazing teaching resources right now at teachific.com.au. Stay tuned.